This is Your Working Life, a podcast that provides you with tools, inspiration, and resources so you can enjoy your career and love your life. I'm Caroline Dowd Higgins. I'm a speaker and a career and executive coach, and today I am delighted to welcome Cynthia Oyoung to the show. Cynthia will talk about building a real workplace culture of inclusion and equity that empowers success. Cynthia, welcome to the show. Thanks so much, Caroline. I'm so happy to be here. Oh, I'm really looking forward to our conversation. And as you know, uh, diversity, equity, inclusion, belonging, it's all the rage right now. It's very hot. Uh, And I want to just start by asking, why do you think companies haven't made progress and in diversity and inclusion so far? Everybody's talking about it. It's on the website, but I feel like we still have a long way to go. We do. There is a long way to go. And while I think that there are some companies out there that are making some incremental progress, and that's great, to your point, um, uh, there are a lot more companies that aren't. Um, and, you know, I, I think there's probably a few reasons that could be contributing to that. You know, one is I think oftentimes companies underestimate the amount of effort, time, and resources it takes to actually drive change in diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging um, within their companies. Um, You know, very often they think it's like, oh, if I just implement a program or a training, um, all will be magically solved. And then they find out that that actually isn't the case. Um, And and so I I think that's like a, a key reason. I think, too, there's also just fear, fear of change. Um, This work, yeah, absolutely requires that people really uh, hold a mirror up to themselves and think about what they need to change, um, not just from an individual behavior standpoint, but also from an organizational systems, practices, processes, you know, underlying beliefs about what success does and does not look like. Um, Those are things that have to be reexamined. And I I think that people often... um, you know, aren't willing to go there. Uh, and then lastly, you know, this is an uncomfortable topic for many people. And we all want to have like the silver bullet easy answer. Um, when in reality, there is no silver bullet and there is no easy answer. And you have to actually put in the work to drive change, both from an internal personal level, like we just talked about, and from an organizational resourcing level. Um, you know, we have to incentivize and motivate people to want to drive change uh, in this space and step into these uncomfortable places and and learn new behaviors. Uh, And change is just hard for for everyone. So what what prompted you to write this book? Because as I mentioned, there's a lot of uh, noise, and I don't say that to be disrespectful, but there's a lot of work out there happening in this space. And as you just articulately said, some of it was working and then we have room to grow. So why did you jump in to write this book and why is your take different than others? Great question. Um, So a couple of things are prompting me to have prompted me to write the book right now, which is, you know, in the aftermath of George Floyd uh, and his murder in 2020, lots of companies and individuals were asking the question of what can I do? right? How can I be a better ally? How can we drive more racial and social equity um, uh, in society as well as our workplaces? Um, You know, how do I follow through on this commitment and intention 
um, to be more equitable and inclusive um, and create that sense of belonging for others. And, um, and so it felt like the right timing to really put something out there to help answer those questions for folks who, you know, very often haven't thought about it in depth in the way that I have for the past 20 years, um, which is how long I've been in this space. Um, but also I think that, uh, you know, the point of view that I have is very different from a lot of existing books and material out there. You get a, there's a lot of consultants in this space. Um, and many of them have written books uh, about different ways to tackle this work. Um, there are much fewer voices that come from within companies. And that's where I've been um, for the past uh, 20 years uh, is really driving this work inside companies um, from conception to implementation to iteration, right? I've learned a lot about what it takes to make progress and drive success and, and how sometimes that, that really falls flat on its face and fails. Um, and, you know, I think a lot of uh, times you, you don't get that perspective of all the nitty gritty day to day stuff that has to happen in order to make change inside companies. And that's, that's where um, my book and is really a playbook to help people navigate all of that. I love the word playbook, and I would agree with you wholeheartedly. Your book is incredibly tactical and action-oriented, and it gives all of us as individuals uh, specific ideas. So I'm going to riff a little bit. You talk about the four Ps, people, place, product, and planet. So tell me more about that. Yeah, that comes from my background. Um, I actually started my career in marketing. And in marketing, you have all the, the four P's of marketing, right? Price, promotion, places, sort of the similar concept. And so, you know, for me, it was really about applying some of that um, alliteration into the space of DEIB. Um, because I think, you know, so much of what we have to do just um, in general is like we're, we're all marketers in some way and, and, and creating change in the DEI space also requires motivating people to do something different, as I mentioned earlier. Um, and that's about like art of persuasion in some uh, ways. And so, you know, I think it's important to have models like this 4P model um, for people to kind of wrap their heads around it and really understand how this is broader than just any one particular area, which many companies often focus on. They often focus on only like the people part, which is all about talent or hiring um, and representation and demographics, right? But if you only focus there, you're missing the opportunity to really leverage all parts of your business to drive progress in this space, um, which actually help to amplify each other if you're doing it right. So, you know, when we think about the um, the place piece, it's about like creating that environment in which that um, the people that you're attracting um, into your company want to stay and have the ability to thrive in. And, you know, they have access, it's accessible to people um, as well of different abilities. And so you, you really want to cultivate that to be able to create more of that um, uh opportunity for for change to really happen and then the marketplace which is the the product piece right you you have to create products and services um 
that meet the needs of your customers, whoever that might be. And customers are getting much more diverse um, over time. And so we have to take that into account in terms of how we're designing, developing those products and services and actually better serving those customers um, who care about the communities in which they operate as well. And that's where the planet piece comes in. We don't operate within a vacuum. Like we're all part of a bigger society. Um, And in that society, there's legislation that affects how we can operate business and how we treat our talent. Um, And then if we're actually, you know, doing the right work uh, in the community to uplift underrepresented and marginalized groups, then we're actually creating both talent and and, um, customers of the future. So it's all very interconnected and and why I think it's important for uh, companies to focus across all of these elements, again, because they they amplify and reinforce each other. Oh, I love that. It's, It's an ecosystem. That's right. Exactly right. Cynthia, we'll be right back after a quick break. Your working life is powered by your stories. We want to hear more from our listeners about your experiences in the workplace. Tell us what challenges you've overcome or tips you've learned along the way. And even better, if you don't have the answers, let us know what issues you want to know more about. We want this podcast to serve all of your working life needs. Send me an email at caroline at carolinedowdhiggins.com. So Cynthia, I appreciated that you said we've got to get out of our comfort zone. We've got to feel uncomfortable and try things. And you you talk about balancing the need for courage in the book with our need to manage risk and in particular with how leaders should think about this. So let's dive into that. Tell me more. Yes. Um, you know, I think that with all of this, I talked about sort of fear being one thing that holds companies back, right? Fear is related to their perception of risk. Um, you know, if, uh, and, and this can come down to the individual level, right? We're, we're, we all don't want to offend people inadvertently. We don't want to put our foot in our mouths um, by accident. And, and so, you know, and, and because we're, we're worried about how that will be perceived, right? Um, We also don't want to hurt people (laughs) and cause trauma uh, as well. And and so, you know, there's, there's risk in a, you know, putting yourself out there and potentially doing the wrong thing. Um, There's risk in B, you know, um, doing it within an organization, especially if you're a leader of a team and the impact that will have on the team and how your peers and colleagues and higher ups perceive you, right? Um, and then there's sort of risk from an organizational level, right? If we're if we're not doing the right things and not actually making progress in this space, then how is that going to be perceived by our customers, by all of our employees, by our shareholders, right? Who are all actually demanding that we do much more in this space. Um, and so, you know, that the pressure is starting to mount and with higher pressure comes higher perceived risk of if you don't get it right, right? What are going to be the consequences of that? Um, so, and that's where the courage piece really comes in, right? Like in the face of all of that daunting environment and pressure, like we have to be still willing um, and able to like step out of those comfort zones, to step into that area of risk, potentially do things that we've never done before because 
honestly, if we're being, if we're holding that mirror up to ourselves, we have to be realize that what's been, what we've been trying for the past two decades hasn't worked that well. So, you know, because we're not seeing the change that we want to see. So that means that we have to do new things and we have to have the courage to step into experiments and new spaces and different conversations and re like, um, you know, challenging our own status quos in this space. Um, but doing it in a way that a, you won't you know, cause trauma to other people. Um, but B being able to embrace some of that vulnerability and say, you know what, I'm willing to make a mistake. And, you know, uh, in, in order to be able to drive progress, uh, fa- farther, faster, further in, in the future. Um, and I, I want people to come, uh, be in that journey with me and support it. Cynthia, you write in the book about how employee resource groups can play a bigger role in diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging initiatives. First of all, explain what an employee resource group is, because it may or may not happen in every organization. And what specifically can they do? How can they make an impact? Yes, employee resource groups um, are generally employee-driven communities within companies um, that are gathered around a common characteristic. And that can vary um, uh, along different dimensions of diversity. Like you see many uh, employee resource groups that form around gender, as an example. So you see women's groups. You also see um, uh, groups that form around disability or racial, ethnic, cultural, commonality, um, uh, things like that. Um, the key thing here, though, is to understand that, um, you know, employee resource groups are communities that provide support for people who are usually, um, you know, have some kind of need or, or sense of, uh, of, of marginalized experiences that, that are shared. Right. So, um, you know, they they're really great for, you know, if you are, say, an example would be like a woman in a technology role at a company where you might be the only woman in that technology role um, on your floor. Right. At the office, Um, you know, being able to find other people who are in similar um, situations um, can help you feel less isolated. Um, and um, much strong, strongly, much more strongly connected um, to the company through uh, finding your community in that way. Um, and so, you know, I find that these these are really great um, ways for people to find the support networks that they need in order to stay engaged uh, at work, where you know people can understand the experiences that you're having, and you can share that without fear of retaliation um, or, you know, risk uh, of, of being, it being perceived in a negative way. Um, but I think also com- many companies uh, underutilize them where they see them as only those, right? Like they're only communities of uh, support for people um, and or they're only, you know, uh, communities that will drive cultural celebrations, right? Or, or they're social groups for people who have that shared affinity. Um, and that's really missing the opportunity where if you are a leader of an employee resource group, you're, you're learning new skills, you're leading a team, right? These are leadership skills that anyone can take into their career 
Um, you know, we could treat these as talent pools for the next generation of diverse leaders at a company. Um, they can be connected to different business initiatives where they provide feedback on product development, um, you know, can help um, help you understand what uh, ways in which you can better serve your diverse marketplaces even better, right? So there's there's lots of uh, other ways that we can use these employee resource groups, um, and I think it's incumbent upon companies to like start to leverage them in that in those ways. Do, do you see in the work that you're doing in in the proverbial trenches that some companies are overburdening or overtaxing their underrepresented employees, seeking their help and driving these diversity initiatives? And, and if so, how do we how do we mitigate that, right? How do we honor these folks and, and make sure that they're not being uh, overburdened? Absolutely. Most definitely. I do think that, you know, uh, I heard a lot of companies uh, in, uh, in recent times, really reaching out to their employee resource groups and saying, okay, what do we do? Like, you know, in the aftermath of George Floyd, like, what do we do? And, and can you help us? Right. And, and that is like, you know, putting a lot of burden on people who are in the already marginalized communities to do even more work, right? They're already handling the work of being marginalized. And now we're asking them to, to do more work on behalf of the entire company. Um, and, you know, so many companies treat employee resource groups as like these volunteer third, second or third jobs, right? Um, which I think is also, you know, I, I think is limiting, frankly. I think that, you know, we have to reframe the work that ERGs do as, as part of a priority for the company. If we've made a commitment for, to support diversity, equity, inclusion, and belonging and say it's a priority, then you should treat it that way. And therefore, your employee resource groups need to be treat the, the work that people are doing in that needs to be treated in, in, that, in that same vein where you reward them in some way. It's part of people's development plans to participate and lead those groups. Um, you know, uh, lots of companies are now starting to actually pay uh, their ERG leaders with bonuses and things like that. Um, you know, you can provide them um, very sort of exclusive like work projects and assignments to actually help the company in terms of strategy and execution um, or different, you know, customer initiatives. There, there are so many things that we can do to actually make uh, and reposition our ERG work as like company priority work. Um, and and it, I think, you know, th that we we have yet to really kind of um, see a majority of companies go down that path. You referenced the, the tragic killing of George Floyd a few times during our conversation today. And as our global listeners may know, some companies made very big public pledges to support anti-racism in the wake of this. Did anything happen as a result of that? I mean, it was a, it was a noble effort, but was it really putting their money where their mouth is or was it more of a, a marketing opportunity? <laughs> well, that's a loaded question, Caroline. <laughs> I do think that there's some of both. Right. I mean, the reality is that, you know, there are some companies who have probably fallen down a little bit on on following through on that commitment. Um, but there are other companies who, when they made those pledges, are, are genuinely following through on 
um, you know, uh, supporting that with like very target, like specific anti-racism training and in, you know, um, driving anti-racist practices within their organization and really repositioning DEIB work as anti-racism work. Um, uh, I've definitely seen some companies out there that are doing that and following through. And I think, you know, some of the, the work that is being done in terms of, um, uh, pledging, uh, you know, you've seen companies that pledge like hundreds of millions of dollars to different nonprofits and organizations that are working towards um, racial justice. Um, I, I think that uh, you see those organizations being really energized in their work and and much more impactful as a result. And so I know that some of that uh, that commitment is actually happening and making a difference. Um, and I, I do think, though, that for companies that are um, you know, only doing that from an external perspective and not like doing the work internally as well are the companies that we need to actually hold to account and employees should have a voice in being able to do that. So Cynthia, are there hot issues that are brimming to the surface or bubbling to the surface that you think will be the the future for DEIB? What's What's coming? What's next? You know, the, the whole pandemic in particular is raising a lot of issues as more people and companies are in uh, permanent remote working situations. Um, I think the, the next big issue around the corner is like, how do we actually ensure that there's equity, inclusion and belonging for folks who um, are not in the office? Right. And who don't get a lot of face time or who are, you know, more remote um, and versus the people who are, you know, able to to be in an office and get face time with people. You know, I mean, there's a lot of research that shows that we have a, a strong bias towards people that we're closer to from a proximity perspective. Um, and, you know, how do we counteract that? I think that 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 equity and belonging issue is 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 the next big issue that we have to figure out in this space. Cynthia Oyoung, I learned so much from you today. Thank you so much for joining me on the show. I want to tell our global audience the title of your book so they can go out and buy it. It's called All Are Welcome, How to Build a Real Workplace Culture of Inclusion That Delivers Results. Cynthia, I wish you continued success and I'm, I'm really grateful for your insight today. Thank you so much. It's been such a great conversation. Thanks for having me. I thought so too. And hey, I, I don't want to forget where we buy the book. Of course, it's available on Amazon and all major book retailers, but you and I are supporters of the independent book retailers. And in particular, we want to mention IndieBound.org and Bookshop.org. Again, the title is All Are Welcome, How to Build a Real Workplace Culture of Inclusion That Delivers Results. Cindy, thanks again. Thank you. Have a great one. And if you like the show, subscribe on Spotify, iTunes, or SoundCloud. And even better, leave a review because this helps new people find us online. You can find me on Twitter at C. Dowd Higgins. And a special thanks to my podcast colleagues, Laura Deck, Executive Director of Publicity and Communications, and Claire McInerney, Executive Producer. Thank you for making this show awesome for our global audience. I'm Caroline Dowd-Higgins. Thanks for listening.